Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David and I'll be your host for the show. G'day everybody, a bit of a different episode today. We've not published an episode in July due to some scheduling challenges at my end, but we will be back to normal in August with some really great guests. So in the meantime, many of you have come to the podcast recently, and if you're like me, when you discover a new podcast, you don't know what older episodes you should listen to first. All I can say is our most popular episodes have been about the challenges of people, family, employees, and our own mental health. As one of the keys to success in our modern farm businesses is getting the people side of the business right. So, if you want to take your people management skills to the next level, I recommend you listen to episode 28, The Challenges of Finding and Retaining Employees in Farming with John Boot. In this episode, John talks about the mindset shift that farmers need to make in order to attract and retain good employees, emphasising the importance of looking inwards at our own businesses and culture and outlining how good operators find and retain really good quality staff, which ends up being a strategic advantage to their business. So if you're a farmer looking to employ people, this is an insightful advice that you won't want to ignore. Also, episode 26, Farming Beyond Family, How to Employ People Successfully with Danielle McNamee. We talk about the essential aspects of employing people on farm, including contracts, safety, duty of care, and correct payment practices. We also discuss how to identify and manage risks on the farm, and the difference between contractors and employees, and the importance of inductions and the growing problem of fatigue and accidents. Daniel in this episode also shares how good HR and OHS systems can attract and retain good staff in your business. So if you're struggling with employee management or OHS on your farm, or you just want to see if you're on the right track, then this episode is one that you won't want to miss. And on family, episode 30, our recent episode is a great one, Navigating Succession and the Insights on Family Business with Stuart Weasley. This is a really um, refreshing take on succession and we don't talk about law or accounting much at all. We explore the crucial questions one must ask when embarking on the journey of succession planning and Stuart shares his insights on the most important considerations to ensure a smooth transition of leadership within the family business, from assessing the family's readiness to identify potential conflicts and we delve deep into the core aspects of this critical process. But today I'd like to replay episode 24, The Unbreakable Farmer with Warren Davies. This is an inspiring episode where we delve into the remarkable story of Warren Davies, also known as The Unbreakable Farmer. Our conversation today centres on the critical topic of rural mental health, and Warren brings a unique perspective to this important issue. Warren's journey took a turn when the harsh realities of farming took its toll on his mental health, leading him to walk away from his passion. Despite facing an identity crisis, struggling to find his place in the world, 
Warren's unwavering resilience, persistence and determination drove him to rebuild his life and created the foundation for what he teaches and lives today. Through his experiences, Warren now shares his story and imparts his skills to inspire others to overcome their challenges. One of the tools he shares in this episode is the unbreakable wheel of well-being, which emphasizes the importance of communication, connection and seeking help. These are vital lessons that we can all benefit from regardless of where we live. During our discussion, we explore the key topics of authentic leadership, mental health and well-being, and building strong communities, plus the importance of resilience, persistence and determination in the face of adversity. This episode is a must-listen for anyone who wants to learn about rural mental health and how to find ways to support themselves and their communities. Thank you again for listening to Boots Off Log On. Now over to Warren. With more corporate farming, you know, aggregations and, you know, family farms getting bigger by buying the neighbours out, even in our area, and, and that once again that gets exacerbated as you get more into more remote communities, that whole fabric of community is kind of broken down a little bit. You know, and as you said, that support network and of people around you to be able to support you and going through similar situations is not there anymore I believe so it's really important that we try and yeah one of the things that I talk about is really important about maintaining that support network and, and having a diverse network maybe outside of your community if your community is so small to, to be able to support yourself. Welcome to the podcast Warren and um, I'm looking forward to our chat. Thanks David it's um, a real pleasure to, to be chatting with you today and yeah hopefully well, obviously, we'll probably go off on a few tangents, but hopefully we cover off on a few things today for those that are listening. Yeah, I know. I was just, we'll just have to get a bit more tight. Warren and I had a conversation a couple of days ago, and it, it wandered all over the place, didn't Warren? So we'll just try and keep it a little tighter today. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Warren, now we're going to be talking about a really important topic today, um, namely mental health. But before we, especially in rural areas, which is one of your core missions in life, but before we get into that, you um, now work and live and um, you're involved in rural, but you didn't grow up on it. Unlike most people I spoke to, you didn't grow up as a farm boy um, initially. So can you tell me, you're a city boy, you're, a, you're a Mel- in Melbourne, is that correct? Yeah, no, I grew up in Melbourne. Yeah, so it's probably, oh, well, it's probably more, um, there's more people than you think there that actually grew up in the city and then moved to the country. But yeah, it's um, probably a unique experience that, you know, as a kid growing up, I grew up in the outer suburbs of Melbourne on the, at the foot of the Dandenongs, like the Dandenong Ranges or, or in them. I lived at Cockatoo. We lived as a family at Cockatoo for a fair while. And it was, and um, my dream job was to be a park ranger. Like, so I wanted to be a national park ranger. That was my dream job. So like the outdoors always appealed to me, but never in my wildest dreams ever thought that, you know, my career path would be in farming and dairy farming in particular, even though we had friends, you know, that were down in Gippsland that were on, were on farms. Um, we used to visit them. We always always think farming was about tractors, motorbikes and slug guns. That's, you know, that was farming for me. (laughs) Like it was, um, never in my wildest dreams, ever a career path that I thought that I would pursue. Um, yeah. So 
you know, mum and dad were small business owners. Um, you know, dad was a butcher by trade. They owned milk bars and takeaway food shops and butcher shops. And, um, when we were in Cockatoo, mum and dad were the postmaster and postmistress in a, yeah, at that stage, a small town. Um, you know, so it was, um, yeah, a bit of a variety of things. So yeah, park ranger was always that thing that I wanted to, to be, but my educational prowess probably didn't allow me to pursue that, that goal. So <laughs> farming ended up being my career path. Yeah. So you ended up, your dad, it sounds like he was um, a serial entrepreneur in a way. And, and then that led into farming. So at 15, I think you ended up on a farm. You, they dragged you out of the city and, and, and stuck you on a dairy farm. Yeah, well, we did. Dad had always kind of harboured this dream, I think, of being a farmer. Um, don't know why. <laughs> um, he always did, and you know, and it couldn't have been a. He he'd made this obviously made this decision that we were going to move, and couldn't have been at the worst time because it was in the early eighties in the Golden Valley. It was probably the worst drought at that stage that that the Golden Valley had ever faced. So moving mum. And, you know, my sister out of suburban Melbourne in a nice brick veneer house, concrete driveway, nice garden, all that sort of stuff, um, out to this weatherboard home with, you know, kind, kind of slightly slanted floorboards and, you know, obviously in the middle of a drought, surrounded in dust. And, you know, I can remember the day, I think the day we moved was cup day of that year and, um, there was a big windstorm and, you know, big dust storm and all that sort of stuff. So it was like you were moving into the apocalypse kind of thing. But, um, for me, it was like a, a great opportunity that I've been struggling a little bit in Melbourne with schooling and, um, a number of other things and, you know, moving to the country was a great way to reinvent myself and I suppose pursue that, that farming goal of tractors, motorbikes and slug guns. Yeah, it, um, even though you arrived in your, your so-called, I've got this picture of some American, you know, a dusty Midwestern thing in my head. Anyway, but you arrived to this um, um, dry farm, but it obviously got in under your skin. So you, because um, you eventually went and bought a farm yourself. Yeah, well, I suppose it was um, schooling. And I always say this with a bit of, um, always careful how I say this because it, it sounds like I'm downplaying farming, but it wasn't, it was just that was a career because schooling wasn't, you know, my, my best place to be. <laughs> School was not, not where I wanted to be. And, you know, I'm self-professed. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed in particular when it comes to schooling and, but that's not downplaying the, you know, the role of agriculture and, you know, these days you basically got to be well educated to secure any job in farming, but, um, it wasn't long, about 12 months after we'd moved to the country, you know, as a 16 year old kid, I wanted to leave school and farming was the career that I, that I chose. Um, and I was lucky enough. I worked for six years as a farmhand for, uh, one of the best farmers in the district. And he, um, he promised to teach me everything I needed to know about farming and he, and he basically did. So as a naive 22 year old, thinking I knew everything about the world and everything about farming, started to look for, at my options of how do I get into farming? How do I become my own boss? And, mm. you know, I did, uh, had thought I'd, you know, 
had enough of working for someone because I had a lot of friends who were generational farmers and it all looked easy mm. for them because they left school and went back on the farm with mum and dad. And you know, they, yeah. every second year they got a brand new tractor and every other year they got a brand new ute and you know, thinking, oh, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be this, <laughs> you know, farmhand for the rest of my life. So, so, and I didn't, I, proposed to my girlfriend. So we were getting engaged. Uh, we were engaged and we were getting married the next year. So it was perfect opportunity. So I started looking at share farming or leasing or, you know, all the options and opportunistically 200 acres come up for sale next door to mum and dad's farm. And we ended up per to wipe, you know, as a couple, we purchased that as a standalone block of land, but obviously it was next door to mum and dad's and with the the idea of you know, just putting a bridge over an irrigation channel and creating a family business. So that's what we did. And, mm. you know, even for that six years working as a farmhand, it's still farming was just a job mm. and it wasn't until I become my own boss where I become a real passion and particularly, you know, even though I thought it was about tractors and motorbikes, I really hate small engines and engines and fixing them. <laughs> but when it comes to animals or that, I, that was where my passion being my own boss, that was ignited and that passion just grew over the years, you know, trying to get the best out of animals, look after them the best that I could and, um, try and get as, as much productivity out of them, you know, in a kind of sustainable, sustainable way mm. where, but yeah, pushing the envelope fairly well. So that's, you know, that was the start of my journey as that 22 year old. Wow. And now you're what, a father of five. Did I, did I read that correctly? Five? Yeah. Yeah. Five kids. Like busy, busy man. Ironically, <laughs> two of them are now back dairy farming. So, which is, um, uh. yeah, which is well, one, one of my second eldest sons doing a degree in, um, doing an ag degree at the moment at uni as a mature age student after being a cabinet maker for 10 years. And my young, youngest daughter is just finished year 12s now. Um, working on a dairy farm, so milking cows. So it's, yeah, it's going around full circle. So I become the, the knowledge bank. Everyone texts me wanting to know well, what's wrong here. How do I fix this? So now you're a farm advisor to all your kids. Yeah, that's it. That's who become a, a, become a family, a family farm consultant. <laughs> yeah. Now the reason that, um, I, I came across you and came to, I came, I, you came to my attention was the, the amazing work you've been doing about rural mental health. And you said your mission to me was to create awareness and education around rural mental health and the, and to, I think you also said to remove the stigma and the challenges around that. Yeah. Um, before we get into that in detail, and and then you you speak a lot publicly. This is probably your main profession now. Um, and talk you talk a lot about, and it's all centered around resilience, persistence, determination, leadership, and 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 personal well being. And you're well recognised for this now. So your journey from farmer to this is obviously been um, and interesting is probably not the right word, but you know, a challenging one. Can you, can you take us through the, the journey from, you know, dairy farming, um, passionate dairy farmer to, to your career and life at this point, you know, father of five, you know, pr professional speaker, et cetera. Yeah. Well, uh, I suppose that, that journey started as that 22 year old and, and as the business developed, um, you know, we 
faced a couple of challenges and, and I, and I kind of alluded to leaving Melbourne was a good thing. There'd been a few challenges in Melbourne with like schooling and bullying and fitting in. And, you know, I hadn't really acknowledged or identified, but I'd been struggling with like anxiety and low self-esteem from a fairly young age. But I think there's an underlying theme to my story and that I never did anything about it. So moving to the country was just a way of pushing it under the carpet, leaving it there. Um, and it wasn't until we started getting into our business and we started facing a few challenges. The first challenge, and I'll always say, um, you know, when I went into business, it was with mum and dad, obviously, um, we joined and made a family business. So anyone that's listening, that's in a family business knows that that could be fraught with danger at some stages. Um, I went into business with the bank cause they lent me the money to be able to purchase that couple hundred acres, but also went into business with a silent business partner and that was mother nature. And I never really treated her with enough, um, respect, I don't think, or just thought that, you know, whatever she threw at me, I'd be able to overcome. And the first challenge was a flood. It was two years into our business. It created, you know, well, sat us really on our backsides financially because we were non-generational farmers. We were trying to build the business, you know, mum and dad were still finding their feet. I was still finding mine. Um, so it was a, a massive uh, event and it kind of triggered what I now call my mental health journey, which is, you know, just the stress of that event because we were impacted for, you know, quite a number of weeks, um, as far as you know, pasture underwater and it was at peak production time and we'd lost all our hay that we had locked up. So, but my focus was, um, trying to overcome that, um, perfect, you know, like as a, as a business, as a, as a farm and really never focused much on my own, um, mental health, but it had just triggered and I, best way I describe it was like a cloud above my head. Then we recovered from that event, moved forward another couple of years and then the vision the family farming business relationship started falling apart and the personal relationship between my mum and dad and, and myself also fell apart. Um, and that was mainly brought about by our visions of the farm business went in two different directions. They didn't want to grow. They wanted to slow down. I wanted to buy the neighbor and get bigger and do all the things that our smart young blokes want to do. Yeah. And so once again, Family is my number one value. So that had a massive impact on my mental health as well. So that cloud ended up turning into a bit of a spiral. Um, once again, didn't pay any attention to that, um, really, or any brush it to the side because the focus was, well, how do I fix this problem? How do I fix the relationship between my parents and myself? And that was my solution was buy them out of the farm, which then took on debt, um, with more stress. But I was then my own boss and the master of my own destiny. My wife and I sat down at that stage. We, mum and dad moved into the town. The relationship was, you know, <laughs> mended and on its way to be sorted out. But now here we were on the farm by ourselves. So we sat down and worked out a 10 year plan and, um, <clears throat> that 10 year plan was devised between us and our advisors. And two years into that 10 year plan, more 18 months into that 10 year plan, everything was going really well. And then mother nature come along again and sent a drought. So 
that um, really tested that plan. Um, in the first year it was fine. Second year of the drought, things got a little bit tighter, but as the drought progressed, so did my spiral. So I ended up, you know, as we entered that third year of that drought, um, my mental health was in a really bad way. I'd hit a real, you know, rock bottom, but at the same time was still focusing on my farm business and paying little attention to what I now know was the number one asset on that farm and that was me because without me that farm didn't operate or didn't operate at a hundred percent anyway so so when I hit rock bottom you know it was really challenging scary dark time but life gave me two choices at that at that moment and that was to have you know, I could either continue along that path or I could get better and I chose to get better. And that was the start of this journey that I was on. But not long after that, that moment in time, I suppose we actually walked off our farm. Um, you know, the drought was moving into its fourth year. We were emotionally, physically, and financially exhausted. And we decided I'd been offered a job in South Australia, managing a farm. We decided to, to you know, up stumps, move the family. So at that stage, we had four kids and one on the way. So we moved to South Australia. We couldn't sell our farm. Um, we left it. No one wanted it. And the day we moved, I, we were moving to South Australia. The, the, um, as the furniture van went across the, the bridge and out through the front gate, I, I kind of stopped and symbolically, you know, um, clipped my identity and hooked it on the front gate because that's who I believed I was. I was, um, I was Warren the farmer, even though I was, you know, a husband, you know, father, son, brother, mate, all those things, um, community member. I was, my whole identity was tied up in that farm. It was my 24 seven. It was my, my everything. It wasn't just a job. It was, you know, an aura business. It was, you know, my home. Uh, it was my passion. It was where my kids were brought up and, you know, walking away from that. So that's the biggest challenge that I've faced, um, now moving forward was, you know, well, what is my purpose and identity? And that led me to do a speaker course, which then, you know, kind of led me to get my first speaking gig. And I didn't really thought, think I had a story to share, but, um, you know, proof says proof in the pudding says, you know, six and a bit years I'd later down the road and I'm getting to travel around Australia and share my story and work in communities that, you know, were either been affected by drought, floods, bushfires, or, you know, all mental health is, you know, obviously with rural communities is, is a big challenge. So I get to go out and speak in those communities, which I'm pretty proud of and, and, um, just love doing that's my passion. Yeah, I want to. I want to come back to identity in a bit, uh, in a little bit though. We'll put a peg in that one. But I, you just mentioned about mental health in rural communities. Um, do you believe that the mental health challenges in rural communities is is, is a growing issue? Is it, is it an issue that's not going away, but but actually getting a bit bit worse? Or what are you seeing when you're out there with these communities? Look, when so my so if I talk about what's talked about in the news is that, you know, mental health in rural regional communities and mental health in urban communities or metropolitan communities isn't much difference. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. The statistics say that. 
Um, it's just the access, I suppose, to the services to be able to deal with that. Like, so when we say they're the same, but the access or people gaining access to mental health services in, in rural, remote and regional communities is, is, is less and harder and harder to achieve. That's what, that's what's said in the news. One I see personally is that there is a lot of challenges. Um, I don't know if oh, over the last six years, I don't believe it's probably getting worse, but there's been a lot of challenges thrown at rural communities, i.e. the bushfires, the drought, the flood, floods, which has had a massive impact on the mental health and wellbeing of, of rural communities. and only exacerbating that access to services, which, you know, just creates this snowball effect. People are struggling with their mental health, but they can't access services and, or not regularly enough or whatever that, whatever that is. Um, it is a, probably a growing problem, but it's a growing problem across the board. It's just the access for rural communities is, you know, a lot limited and, you know, there's, there's lots of issues around that, you know, whether it's, you know, obviously the, the isolation of the communities or whether it's, you know, even in the larger communities, like at the moment, it's the, the housing crisis. So getting doctors to towns, you have, mm. getting doctors on, and, you know, mental health professionals to towns is hard enough, let alone then finding them somewhere to live because of the, the housing pressure and that, that to, you know, basically across the board, across the country. So, you know, all these things exacerbate those problems, so which makes it then harder for people to reach out and, you know, talk about where they're at um, with their mental health. You and I both grew up in uh, rural communities where we all had a, you know, the communities, there's a lot more people. We we talked before about um, when we were on the phone a couple of days ago about the local, we used to have a local hall where they used to have dances and maybe um, badminton and tennis club, those sort of things. And all rural communities, they seem to have either disappearing or have already disappeared. So is the fact that like in the district where I grew up, there probably would have been 25 families when I was a teenager now, though there's only three that um, farm the whole district. Is this sense of, you know, the farms are getting bigger and in many cases more profitable, but the communities are getting very, very small. And so m not many people can support a footy club anymore and not many people. So those those networks that used to support each other are slowly eroding. Is is this a new challenge or, or a continuing challenge for all rural areas, this, this shrinking of community? I think it's just a continual thing. So if I go back to when that day that I left school, mum said I could leave school. I, every night after school, I used to jump on my motorbike and I'd ride around and everything where I live in the Goulburn Valley is basically in square miles, you know, mile long, mile long road. And I'd, I'd do a square mile a night. And I'd, you know, back in, in those days, there would be, you know, four or five dairy farms within that square mile. Now you'd be lucky to find one in that square mile. Um, yeah, so each dairy farm obviously had a family and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now they're, you know, with, with, um, more corporate farming, you know, aggregations and, you know, family farms getting bigger by buying the neighbors out, even in our area and, you know, and even, and that once again, that gets exacerbated as you get more into more remote communities that. Yeah, that whole fabric of 
community is kind of broken down a little bit, you know, and as you said, that support network and of people around you, um, to be able to support you and going through similar situations is not, not there anymore, I believe. So it's really important that we try and, yeah, one of the things that I talk about, it's really important about maintaining that support network and, and having a diverse network, maybe outside of your community, if your community is so small to, to be able to support yourself. So if, you know, this is not a challenge for just one person or a couple of people, it's, you know, it's a community challenge, this mental health. So how do we as individuals and as families and as communities um, work to both, you know, manage our own mental health a lot like our physical health? So what are the, what are the tool, uh, tools that we can put in place or even, uh, as, yeah, to, to help us out? Yeah, well, like obviously, you know, with got to be aware and that's part of that part of my mission around education and awareness it's understanding like if I go back to my story and I talk about growing up and 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 not really understanding that I was really struggling with you know anxiety problems um it's about having the awareness and education to know some of the signs within yourself or within people around you which you know is a real um, open-ended question really, because people ask me that, or what are the signs? Well, they can be as long as a piece of string kind of, kind of thing, but, you know, just simple things like behavioral changes or, you know, um, I think we talked about, you know, putting on weight or so you notice someone's, you know, normally well kept or their, their farm is well presented or whatever. And all of a sudden that starts to decline. There's generally an issue going on and whether that's mental health or financial issue or a relationship breakdown or something like that. And we need to be aware of these things. And, and I think one of the things that we, we do as humans, we don't like to stick our nose in other people's businesses, but at the same time, that's what community is about is kind of understanding what the person next to you is going through. And we need to, to understand, you know, some of these signs so we can, um, not intervene as much, but just start that conversation. So, you know, we start creating that safe space that, you know, and break down that stigma. So people are more willing to, you know, put their hand up and say, look, I am struggling and I do need a bit of help and, but where do I get it from and understanding, well, where do you get it from and, and, and what do we, um, and how can we best support each other. So there's, there's lots of tools like, but, but simple things like just opening up that conversation, being empathetic and, and understanding to someone else's, um, challenges, even if you're not going through them yourself, um, you know, be caring and, and understand that, you know, if, if you find someone that's struggling, um, with their mental health, you, you know, you don't need to know all the answers. You don't need to have advice, sometimes just listening to their problem or listening to their challenge is all that's needed. They might just need to get something off their chest, particularly, you know, I found working in, you know, Southern Queensland and that during the drought where, you know, people were that busy dealing with the drought. They hadn't seen neighbours for, you know, six, eight, 10 weeks, you know, and they only live a couple of k's down the road and they hadn't seen their neighbours. So hadn't had that communication or that opportunity to offload, you know, the things that are, you know, chewing them up a bit inside, which is, 
chewing up the neighbor inside just the same because he's going through exactly the same thing. Mm. So I think, you know, just simple things like that conversation, um, and communication is, is really important. And then, you know, part of that awareness and education piece is then knowing what's around and what's available as far as support goes. You know, there's heaps of resources on the internet, um, you know, as far as understanding where you're at with your anxiety or, you know, you might be just having a crap day. Simple as that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you've got, you know, a mental illness. It might be just, you know, you've, you've, you've copped a few challenges over the, you know, over your last six months and it's just compounded and you really just need someone to talk to. And so knowing where those, those are, and obviously again, as we get further away from regional centers and more into remote communities, some of that stuff's hard to access, but there is some really good internet-based support systems there where you can, you know, reach out and, and talk to, you know, qualified professional mental health practitioners and, and, and get some, the help that you need. And, you know, obviously if it's a serious enough problem, you know, other intervention will have to um, probably take place and you, you might have to travel to one of those regional centers to get some, some more support. But, you know, that first step, you know, that communication, that conversation is, is a really important bit. And I'm talking from a bloke's point of view, um, but we're pretty, we, we traditionally have been pretty bad at those conversations. I know from um, my wife and her friends, they tend to be much better at saying, no, I'm, I'm having a shit day and they just get it off their, they tend to be better at getting off their chest. I don't know if they're necessarily great at it, but they're certainly a lot better than me and all my mates. So this, uh, I don't know what we call it, these blokey walls that we put up, um, are they, am I just being a little bit, um, you know, uh, simplistic to say it's a bloke problem, but for me, it's kind of like asking your mate, is he okay? But then also you, if it's you having the conversation to say, no, nah, mate, I'm, it's, I'm not good. Or the other thing is if they do say that, then the language or the structure to, to support them, because sometimes if they responded, no, nah, I'm not good, then sometimes you might sit there and go, well, God, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. So do we need some, to arm ourselves a little bit with some, Words maybe? Yeah, words and, um, you know, one of the, I always say this, and this is not being derogatory to any mental health initiative in Australia. And so I don't never want it taken that way because every, everyone that's doing something about, you know, the mental health of our communities is doing a good job and everyone plays their part. But if I'm in a room of people, particularly blokes, and if I go, you know, if I ask you the question, are you okay? What are you going to tell me? And most of the time, especially in, you know, those rural communities where the, you know, most of the blokes are sitting with their arms folded and, you know, there's a thousand land cruiser utes parked out the front of the community hall that I'm speaking in, they'll all just nod their head, you know, as if to say, yeah, I'm all right. But you can tell that they're- Yeah, they say, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm all right. Maybe he's not, but I'm all right, you know, and you know that, but so that's why, while I, why I do what I do, that's the, you know, that second part of my mission about inspiring conversations is by, by sharing my story, hopefully that empowers other people, um, and blokes, particularly because we aren't good at talking about that to go, well, like shit, he's, 
been through this and he's talking about it, maybe I should talk, you know, to someone about how I'm feeling. Yeah, we wouldn't play through a footy injury, would we? You know, like. No, no. It's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, back in the old rough and tough days, you know, well, get back out there. Your arm's only broken, you know, toughen up your bars. Like that. Those days are gone and, you know, and, and people, you know, I find, you know, 90% of the time, any community I go and there'll be a few old tough buggers in the, you know, in the audience, but I'm finding all different age groups, you know, from, you know, teenage, particularly like this is when we're talking about boys, teenage boys to, you know, middle seventies and 80 year olds coming up and going, yeah, well, look, I struggled, especially the older fellas say, look, I struggled through a bit of that back in the, you know, the seventies when we were shooting our sheep and, you know, but had no one to talk to and, you know, mm. if I'd have talked about it, you know, they would have told me I was a, a weak so-and-so. But I think I think that's the inroads that we have made in the mental health space is that people are a little bit more prepared to to talk about it, but it was, you know, it's there's still that stigma attached and, you know, that sign of failure or weakness. And as a bloke, there's a lot of, there's a lot of masculinity stuff tied up in, you know, I don't want to put my hand up and say I'm a failure, but... You know, sticking your hand up and asking for help, whether it's for your mental health, your physical health, for your business, like what would you rather do, lose your farm or, you know, eat your pride a little bit, stick your hand up and say, listen, I um, I, I want to save me farm. Like, Yeah, and also how important your mental health is to your farm. So I um, uh, did a podcast um with a client of ours last year. And the most thing that thing that I remember from that hour I spent with her was she said strong family is a strong business. She goes, my priority all the time is my family. Yeah. She goes, the you know, she goes everything from succession to uh, meetings to getting together. She goes, because my policy is if we have a strong family, our business will run well. Yeah. Um, as opposed to a lot of people who focus on their business in spite of their family. So it, it sounds like a lot like that. If you look after, you're saying if you look after your mental health, that's actually a good business decision as well. Well, as I said, part, like as part of my story, didn't realise I was I was really the number one asset on that farm. Not that's not pumping my own tyres up, and it's mm. only because like I was, you know, we were. My wife was equally the number one asset on that farm. It wasn't the tractor or the header or the or the new milking shed or whatever you've got, you know, those other things, it's actually you, you're the one that's running that business. And if you're not operating, you know, at, a, at your, at, at your optimal level, well, then things start to fall apart. You know, strong families are, and you know, when we had that family bust up on the farm, it just basically ground our business to a halt until we sorted it out. Whether we sorted it out the right way or the wrong way, don't know. Um, obviously it fixed the family relationship, but we need to, you know, it is, and it's funny, I do a lot of speaking gigs where one of the other speakers might be a succession planner. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, um, you know, and I've worked with, with, you know, consulted with a couple of farms like where, you know, basically dad was 85 and he died on the bed that he was basically born on and he still had the checkbook in his hand as he passed away, like in the... 55 year old or six year old son has never written it, yeah, had never written a check on the farm or done anything on the business side of it. He just worked his butt off. So that's not succession planning. And that's, 
you know, creates divisions and, you know, a couple of other brothers on that far, particular farm had already left the farm because they, they were over that. They wanted, you know, more control at, at an earlier age and never got it. So, you know, yeah, I'm really, it's a, it's a big thing. Families, families play a big part in, um, creating a really strong business and strong families then create strong communities and resilient communities. And, you know, so if we all start supporting each other and try and get back to, even though we all live in a little bit more of an isolated world these days, it like particularly in rural communities where it's not that, you know, five or six families on the one square mile, if we, you know, create those support networks and support each other, well, we can become more resilient as a community, I think. And the the importance of family health in, in as a um, as in both uh, in the context of as a unit um, in that case becomes even more important because if there's less community in the context because there's less of you, then you are spending uh, a, dispro- a, a quite a large amount of time with your nuclear family. They become quite a um, integral part of your social network. In in, in fact, don't they? Well especially in remote communities, they are your social network and, you know, going to get it out. Like when we moved to South Australia, even though it wasn't a remote community, it was a fairly, every farm was a big farm and, uh, you know, the importance of catching up with those neighbours and it was generally Stitzel night at the local pub, which was just the pub out in the middle of nowhere on a Tuesday night was when everyone come together and at least you could talk about, you mightn't see them for the, the rest of the week, but it was a good time to, to get together as a, as a group. But when you're isolated on a family farm, you know, family relationships are really important, but also having the strategies in place where you, you know, you have time for yourself and it's not all overwhelming and it's not like living in a fishbowl or anything like that. Um, because, you know, to have healthy relationships, you've got to have that time away from each other as well. So there's lots of, you know, we could talk for hours on strategies on how to, you know, best deal with that, but yeah, yeah, it's a whole different conversation, but there, you know, obviously, you know, you've got to set boundaries and you've got to have time for yourself and, you know, there's got to be equal delegation across that family to keep everyone engaged and keep everyone um, especially if, you know, people are struggling with their mental health, um, to be able to support each other as well, like, you know, understanding all those, you know, little signs and that when someone might be struggling, because you could be going through the same situation, but everyone handles things differently. And sometimes it gets on top of people, even within your family and where you're, you mightn't be feeling that you've got to be empathetic to their to their feelings as well and make sure everyone is equally supported. Yeah, definitely. Now you talk about a wheel of well-being, and I, I really love that idea. So this is um, what, from what I can gather and I'll let you explain it, a way for you to check in on yourself on a regular basis to say, you know, am I good Yeah. Um, or to be balanced. Can you take us through your wheel of well-being? Yeah, so I suppose we've talked about, you know, how do we look out for the people around us, but we've also got to look out for ourselves as well and, you know, there's a number of things that we can do about that. And, um, there's two probably things, um, that we, uh, we spoke about off air and they're really the, the key things without going through all the other stuff. But one of them's 
what I call the unbreakable wheel of well-being. And if why I went for a wheel to best explain this is because most people have got um, a concept of what a wheel is, and you you know you've got it out a rim, and then you've got your inner hub, and and if you look at your well-being domains like uh, emotional, social, intellectual, um, vocational. Um, relationships, your mental health, your physical health, they all create the spokes of this wheel. Um, and if you sit down and do an exercise, like whether it's once a week or once a fortnight or once a month, whenever it is, and, and rate yourself one to five on each one of these wellbeing domains, um, considering thinking in your head that they're spokes, so, and one's being like you're really struggling and five is obviously excellent. And then you start drawing this picture and you've got your your rim of your wheel and you've got your hub and you start drawing your spokes. Well, if you, you know, say your social, um, domain is really struggling. Um, so you might be at a one, but physically you might be a five. So all of a sudden you can look at that straight away and know, well, well, wheel's going to be unbalanced straight away, but you go and end up doing all the others and, you know, you might have spokes that are, you know, five cause you're really good at feeling good about one part of your life, but you might be ones in the other. And then all of a sudden you can see that your wheels unbalanced. And, and if we know anything about wheels, if your wheels unbalanced or you've got uneven spokes, all of a sudden that wheel's going to start to wobble. Um, it's going to start to shake and shudder. Um, if we keep ignoring that and those uneven spokes and keep driving that wheel long enough, it will eventually fall off. And we don't want that to happen. So rating yourself one to five on each one of these well-being domains and then working out, well, how do I, you know, what are my goals in each one of those areas, in each one of those domains and how can I focus and prioritize my, my energy and my time to try and balance that wheel the best I can. And the best way I can describe that is I did this talk, you know, in a, um, remand center in Melbourne and a a prisoner come up to me afterwards and really I'd paid not enough attention to how powerful this exercise is. And he come up to me, he goes, look, I've, I've visualized that unbreakable wheel of well-being in my head. And this guy, just to paint the picture, um, he'd been incarcerated for a number of years. And I think for every one of those days that he was inside, he lifted weights and he had the biggest arms I'd ever seen on a bloke. And he came up to me and he said, well, physically I'm a five. And I yeah, said, look, dear Freddie, have a look at your arms. Like you're huge and you're of quite a specimen. But he said, socially, emotionally, I'm not even a one. So actually when I look at my wheel, my wheel is actually a triangle. Um, and I'm stuck. I can't go forward and I can't go back. And I need to refocus my energy and probably put the weights down for a bit and do some self-development on my emotional and social um, well-being. Like intellectually, he said, look, he was probably a four because he was probably a fairly smart person. And so he needed to work on his social, emotional stuff. And um, because it, one thing he was scared about was getting let out, which was part of this program that these these guys were in. Um, getting let out and then ending up in mm -hmm. back in jail. So he was made a promise to me kind of that night that he was going to put his weights down and focus on his social, emotional, um, wellbeing. So it become really clear to me that this is an important exercise. So I do it myself just to try and find out where I am. And, you know, it's important to understand that even if you 
all you spokes are a one, your wheels still balance. Obviously, you've got a lot of work to do, but your wheels balance. But if you've got fives and ones and threes and twos, you've got to start looking at the areas and whether that's, you know, your relationships or your finances or your business or whatever it is, you need to start focusing on those things that will help you balance that wheel out because all those things have a massive impact on our mental health and our well-being. Does it stop us making assumptions? So one of the things we always hear is, um, you know, they've that person's, you know, essentially seems to have it all together. Um, you know, they're intelligent, they're health, you know, they're healthy, they're whatever, good looking. I don't know, whatever it yep. is, they've got a great job, but but they've got but they're really suffering. And we make these assumptions they shouldn't be suffering because from what we can see, it looks like they've got it all together. Yeah. Does this understanding this wheel mean go, well, yes, they might, you know, like you said, this guy's got big muscles and super intelligent, but the rest of his wheel is a complete disaster. So understanding that people have this wheel? A perfect example is like, say we wait or even look at the farming scenario, or you can look at a corporate scenario and you look at manager of a big farm or a big station and you think, well, he's got the best job and he's got it, you know, all lucky A's. He's packaged and he's got a house and a car and his fuel and everything. And it's like a really good job and he's making, you know, whatever he's, you know, what you've assumed that he's making or there or she's making, but, the, but his wife's left him. Mm. So all of a sudden his wheel's not balanced because his relationship's broken down and one of his spokes might only be, mightn't even be in existence. So all of a sudden his wheel's wobbling already. Um, so yeah, it does break down those assumptions and think, well, from a distance, he looks like he's got it. Well, she's looks like she's got everything, but one of those spokes is, which then has a, a ripple effect because once your relationship breaks down, well, then your social bit breaks down as well, because you've probably always done stuff as a couple and as a family. And so then all of a sudden two of your spokes are now not at a five or a four or a three, now they're at a one and your wheel's really starting to wobble. So, you know, understanding, you know, it's probably the old adage, you don't judge a book by its cover. So that's why this exercise is really good. It gives you a better perspective of where you're at, I think, um, as far as those things that really impact your your mental health and your well-being. Yeah, and we see that more and more, you know, like farmers – the, you know, like we said, the farmers are getting bigger and bigger and they're on the outside, they look, you know, if I look at our clients and farmers across Australia, they're on the outside are looking very successful, but it doesn't, we can't make that natural assumption that everything's okay in their, you know, in their life just because they've got a big farm and a nice car. Yeah. There's, there's, um, there's challenges in, in everything. It doesn't matter if it's big, small or, you know, you got all the flash, but everyone that comes with their challenges and every, you know, the bigger you get, the, the more debt you've got to service, or even if you're small, you might have a lot of debt to service. You can't make assumptions. Like I used to do that. There was two things on our road. We were, we were always the envelope pusher on our road. As far as our dairy farm, um, we were the non-generational mm -hmm. farmer. Our next door neighbor was third generation. His neighbor was fourth generation. One guy had three times as much land as me and, and milked three times as le less cows as what I did on that same land. Um, our situations were different. He had no family debt. We had loads of debt. 
um, you can't make assumptions. And, and then when I did leave, um, one of the jobs that I've done along my journey was I did real estate as a dairy specialist for three years. And yeah, I used to go into a, a dairy, dairy farmers are renowned for this anyway, but you'd walk in and, um, say how are the cows milking, you know, just as a ice breaking question, oh, the cows, they're doing 35 litres. So I'd start adding this stuff up in my head and, oh yeah, we're milking X amount of cows and everything's going really good. You know, they'd be pumping the tyres up and dairy farm, on dairy farms, there's one thing that, that tells the true story and never lies. And that's the, the tanker chart where the tanker driver writes down the numbers. So I'd go yeah. then into the milk room and have a look and I'd see X amount of litres being picked up today. And he told me he was milking X amount of cows. Well, his cows are really only doing 23 litres, not 33 litres. Um, <laughs> so we're seeing, you know, what it's amazing about the, the rural mental health. We're seeing a lot of awareness. You know, we're seeing um, the Blue pro, uh, the blue um, Tree Project. We've got AUK, which is more uh, a, a, across the board. Um, I was in a pub in Dowran last year and I saw these talk to a mate sticker across the top of every urinal. Um, which is a very blokey thing to do, but you know that we people like yourself and others, like you said, are driving a lot of awareness. So, what is uh, I, I love this idea, um, this, you know, of this. There's a lot, a lot of toolbox type analogies. I remember there used to be this um, uh, health department did this thing called a pit stop, and it used to be us guys going and they'd say, "Put you over the pit stop," and they'd measure your weight and your BMI and can you touch your toes, and they'd give you a red sticker or a yellow sticker or a green sticker. And I always think a bit of that in your mental health. So, what toolbox can we? What toolbox do we need both to look after ourselves? So we've got the the unbreakable wheel, but also so we can help others if they are essentially technically struggling or getting broken down. So what is this toolbox we, we need to put together? Yeah. So the, like the unbreakable wheels, a good one for yourself. And the other one for yourself is, and I'm big on this is understanding who your five people are in your life. So if the proverbial hits the fan, who are the five people that you'd be able to talk to? Um, it's a really interesting exercise to do because sometimes the people that you think you might be going to talk to aren't the ones that you would necessarily wouldn't. And like I know myself, look, I'm lucky. I've got five kids. I've got a wife, um, you know, got a doctor. I've got a mentor that, you know, we've never met in person. Well, it's always been online, but I know that I can talk to him about stuff. It's building this diverse network around yourself to be able to support you. You know, and for me, the two most important probably parts of my support network are my dogs. Mm. You know, we go, can go for a walk and I can have had a crap day and I can talk to them about how I'm feeling. Um, I can get it off my chest. They look back at me. They still love me. They don't judge me and, yeah, everything's everything's good. So they play a big part. So that's another thing is understanding who those five people are and and that can be diverse. And I suppose the more remote you um you become as far as where you live, the more diverse that network probably comes because you're going to rely on people outside your community. Um, the other thing, like there's three lessons that I've learned from my journey that are really important and we've touched on most of them, but communication is key. It's really important that we 
there'll be talk about this stuff and you know that's what drives me by as i said before by sharing my story hopefully that empowers other people to share theirs whether it's a good or a bad story it doesn't matter there's no and you know we need to remain you know all these in any discussion or conversation we have with anyone remain non-judgmental and you know have some empathy to towards the other person regardless of what you think of their situation um you need to have that empathy and understanding um so communication is key the next part is about connection you know connection to your community but if your community is only small will connection to that support network and and outside of your community because it's really important because one of the things i've learned about connection to community and the most powerful thing about any community is your shared wisdom is so powerful and just communication with with people and conversations with people and sharing some wisdom you know you never know and i never thought this when i first started speaking i never realized i had a story to share and probably still sometimes doubt that I have or I have it, but you never know. Um, you might be holding a small piece of wisdom that you think's worthless, but it could be the missing piece of someone else's jigsaw puzzle to help them move forward. So, you know, that's where community plays an important role. And, and, and whether that's a physical community or a, a community, whether, you know, outside your physical community that you can create for yourself, that shared wisdom is really important to help you move forward. And then obviously the third part or my third lesson is about seeking help and, you know, and treating your mental health seriously when you do seek that help. And, you know, if you had a broken leg, well, you'd be on crutches and, and just because it's your, your, you know, your mental health or you might be struggling with a, with a mental illness is, it doesn't mean you don't treat it any differently and, and you might need to allow yourself some time to recover and. Or you might need to, you know, pursue more professional advice on how to deal with the issue that, that you, that might be troubling you. Um, and, you know, so there's those tools, but, you know, we, we talked about this the other day and a lot of people ask me this question, like I always say, and particularly when we're talking about blokes and, um, you know, the blokes don't talk about this stuff, but they do. And it's just being aware of the language that they use around how they talk about it. And it's been able to pick up on those subtle points where, you know, someone, for instance, might be just in love with their farm all the time. You know, everything's good. And then all of a sudden, oh, everything's shit today. And they're a bit down. And so there's, there's a warning or a, a red flag to say, well, okay, that's a bit unusual for his normal conversation. Um, if he continues on with that, maybe I need to ask him how he's traveling. And you know, and to be aware that you'll probably say I'm okay, but if you, if, if you are truly concerned about that person's, you know, well-being, is to be persistent and keep asking those questions. Um, and eventually you'll build enough rapport that they'll know that you are truly concerned and they might open up to you. But it's also really, it's really important to understand too, one of the harshest realities of working in this space is that you can't help everyone. You can try, you can try really hard, but some people, um, you just can't get through to, and that's a real harsh reality to deal with, but it is a reality. It is. But I think what I'm hearing is as long as we're all there, we're listening both with our eyes and our ears, um, and 
and having those conversations, you know, even if they are scary for both the listener and the the asker, yeah, um, that we will slowly get more used to having them. And that's right. And and now and and going back to the point of, you know, if you notice someone's struggling, I'm a big believer. If if you're truly concerned about someone's well being, and you might overstep the mark a little bit by asking questions, but the thing is, if it's coming from the right place, like so from your heart and your gut's telling you it's right, it's never wrong. It's always right and you'll never cause any harm. It's when you double, you know, think about it twice and then you don't ask those questions and then something catastrophic happens, then you'll wish you had asked the question. Yeah, it's better to ask and be a little embarrassed than to not ask and have something go wrong, isn't it? Correct. Yep. And the other one I'm hearing is, you know, like um, depending on what bit of research you ask, you know, 70 plus percent of what we say is not coming out of our gob, is it? It's it's our tone, it's our body language, it's our everything else. So exactly. It's, it, it's, it's watching for that stuff too. Yeah, and they're um, just little things like, you know, you might have a, a community get-together and a person's always the first one there or they're the one that's cooking the barbecue and all of a sudden they're an hour late or they they don't even turn up and you go, well, that's out of character. Like, hmm. you know, especially in small communities, like and in, in, in your own community, whatever community looks like to you, like whether it's your footy club or whatever, you're pretty aware of the people around you. So even if they're not your best mates, you still know their, you know, their, their body language, like I can, I'm, you know, getting older and my eyesight's failing. So go and watching a footy game, I mightn't be able to read the numbers or see, but I can nearly tell every player on the ground by just the way they run or the way they hold themselves or whatever. Like, so I make up for not being able to see and go, oh, that was him over <laughs> there. But all those little yeah. things, they're just little things that you pick up and, you know, um, and I think that's part of that education and awareness is to try and still build those tools into your toolbox and, and they're just, you know, being more observant and, and, you know, being more understanding and compassionate towards your community and towards yourself. And on that last couple of things before we go, um, if anyone is listening to this and they have someone in there, either themselves or someone in their life that, you know, has really hit those crossroads and they need help. Um, what is the the first, where are the places they can go? I can put all the links in the podcast afterwards, but where would you advise, uh, you know, if you're at that point, you go, God, I need drastic help here, I'm in a bad way. Where where should people reach out to quickly? Well, obviously, if you're in a life-threatening situation or it's a drastic situation, like there's, if you're close enough to a hospital or an emergency um, triage or whatever, that's where you need to go. Um Otherwise, there's, you know, places like Lifeline. Um, TX is another good one, um, which is a, a phone, um, like counseling service where you get 10 free counseling sessions with a mental health professional. And I can give you all the numbers so you can put them in the show notes for that. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and there's plenty of other resources, but you know, you, your GP, if you've got one available, is a good place to start, particularly if you really know that you're struggling with your mental health, because then you can get, which is another daunting whole process, but you can get put on a mental health plan, which then entitles you to some 
you know, some psychology or, you know, other mental health professional services and, um, you know, and you can be assessed, you know, properly and without self-assessing and, you know, and it, it might be only a short-term thing, um, but you just need that little bit of help just to get back on track. Um, but, but we would do that for a physical illness, wouldn't we? Exactly. And, and the same as a physical I- illness or injury, the longer you let it go, the longer the recovery. Uh, and look, and I've learned that firsthand. Yeah. That's one of my lessons. You need to get on it early and, and because then your recovery, the longer you leave it, you're, the longer your recovery, basically. So there's lots of, lots of places. Yeah, that's really good. So we'll put all those links and I'll talk to you afterwards or send, and we'll um, get all those links on the show notes for everyone listening. Um, and to mention that, like these days, if you go onto your GP website, it might be not so much in the country, but often they'll have book a long appointment, a long mental health appointment. So, so you know, you've got a little bit more than your standard 15 minutes. So it's worth, um, you know, booking that time. Yeah. So if you are, so that's, that's a definite, like if you are going to, and I just did a post on Facebook about this the other day about, you know, questions to ask, even when you're going to the GP, cause it is a daunting thing, but yeah, definitely mm-hmm. if you have got the access to a GP and you're going there, book a double appointment, um, which then they kind of flags that as they kind of, they're already forearmed while you're coming. Um, but it just gives you more time to discuss things and you're not in and out. And cause it is, sometimes it takes a bit to get through where you're at and, and they need to be able to assess you and understand that that's just a normal process. Like they ask you 10 questions and, and, and that gives you a score. And then they kind of, uh, you know, if they're really concerned about you, well, they'll ask you more questions or Otherwise, I'll set this plan for you to try and get you back on track. So it's as simple as that, and it's no different to um, going and you know talking about a physical um, ailment. So um, and no, no more embarrassing. Like at the end of the day, uh, it's it's just part of who you are, and um, you know part of life. And sometimes we just need that little bit of help to be able to move forward. Yeah, I like that. It's just so it's not as good. It's not bad. It just is. You know, just. You know. Yeah, that's it. Um, my last question before I go, I always ask this for everyone. So, you know, apart from the time that you're out doing this great work we're talking about and you're not on the road talking to people or so how do you spend your time outside of agriculture and outside of your speaking gigs, et cetera? Look, um, that's a good question, but, yeah, you know, I'm a bit of an ASL footy nut, so <laughs> love me footy. Um, my son's playing the local footy team, one of my sons is a coach, so, and my daughters play netball, so that's, you know, in the winter time, that's what we like to do, um, you know, and that's our community. Uh, apart from that, like um, getting out into nature and going on some walks and a bit of camping, rolling the swag out in a few different places and having a look around when time allows that and, you know, been around family and that that's very important to us it's our as i said it's my number one value but it's something that we've tried to instill in our kids so you know family is really important and obviously with five kids now they're all growing up they've got five kids with five partners and a couple of grandkids so it's all starting to grow for us so that's um you know that kind of fills in our life <laughs> you're gonna have a, at some point in the next 10 years you're gonna have a massive christmas table aren't you that's it. We we will. It's big enough now. So 
Uh, it will be. And it's, um, you know, that's one of those, you know, you, there's all different parts of, you know, when you look at, you know, we've talked about if, how you think people are traveling, whether they're wealthy or rich or struggling. One thing where very wealthy people might be financially wealthy, but as far as family goes, we're very lucky and, um, that, you know, that's our world and we're, we're very, um, grateful for that. That's great. It's a great um, point, Dan. And I think, you know, there's a difference between money and wealth. They're not the same thing, are they? No, exactly right. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time, mate. We'll put all the links in the show notes to everybody, um, especially those really important ones we discussed at the end where people can get help if they need it. And um, I say, I'll turn my video back on so I can see you again, Warren. Um, and so, Warren, thank you very much for taking the time to you know be with us and and chat with this is a really important um topic um and warren if people are listening and there's community groups all over um australia um and they want to get you to come in and speak to their community about this message how do they get hold of you look they can reach out to me a number of ways um on my web page on my website there's a connection page so it's just like a little page just to fill in your name or address and name and phone number and and what you're wanting to contact me about so www.theunbreakablefarmer.com.au um you'll find the connect button there you can reach out that way or email um when i'll send you all that through so email or on facebook yeah instagram i'm everywhere so you'll you'll find me at some spot <laughs> but just reach out and message me and good so hunt down the unbreakable farmer on google i think I think I found you just by putting the unbreakable farmer in Google That's and, it. and you fill up a page. Yep. So, all right. Good on you, Warren. Thank you very much. No worries. Good. Thanks for having me, David. I really appreciate the chat. If you or someone you care about is experiencing mental health issues, it can be helpful to speak to someone who can support you. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or use one of the resources linked in our show notes. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. My aim with this podcast is to make it the most useful podcast you listen to and to help every farm business thrive. So if you like this episode, please take the time to share it on social media or even better, directly with at least one friend today. Plus, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps us reach more farm businesses like you. So together, we can make all farm businesses strong farm businesses. Thank you.